0: song will have a way of sticking with you through the day so as it comes to your mind can I just uh, ask and invite you to pray for the author Davis Davis is a friend of mine from Florida and uh, just pray that God will bless Davis and draw him nearer to himself Uh, hey kids it looks like you already got the memo so they're headed out for uh, children's worship they don't need me Um, they're they're ready for this so adults and the rest of us would you turn to Hebrews chapter 10 And we'll begin reading in verse 19. There are certain passages whenever I'm preaching through a book that I have in my mind when I first get started. And it's like, oh, I can't wait to get to this passage. This is one of those. This is just a a, a precious passage, passage to me. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus... And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Our Father, you are a great and an awesome God. We do give you praise, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for the salvation that you have given us, for the life that you have given us in Jesus. And we thank you for the privilege of being able to worship you today. Our Father, we pray that you would meet with us, that you would deal with each of our hearts, and we plead with you, O God, that you would change our lives, that you would give to us a greater love for you, that you would help us to draw near. We pray for our children, and we ask, our God, that you would work in their lives and that the gospel would be mighty and they would come to know you even this day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, uh, Robin and I were in a situation, we'll, we'll just call it that, um, in, in which we were um, uh, kind of separated from one another for an evening and we were with other people. And it was a very stressful, very surprising uh, time in our life. And, and Robin was with uh, some other women and as they were together, Um, and they, the, the, the the women were, were quite distressed. Uh, the surprise was there. The stress was great. They just weren't sure, you know, what's going to happen with this. And, um, and they were asking, well, what do we do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Robin was able in the midst of that to just look at them and say, ladies, right now we're going to brush our teeth because that's the next thing to do. And these women who a moment before were, were frantic and what are we going to said? Yeah yeah, that's what we'll do. And a calm fell over all the women and they brushed their teeth because that's what needed to take place at that moment. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget just my, my wife's calm, which she brings into our home. Needless to say, she's not the emotional one. She's, she's the rock. And, and, and she just brought that into that environment and recognizing how important it is to take the next step. We've been looking at the book of Hebrews for last year and this year, and we've been looking at it... Uh, uh, Um, understanding the reason that it was written was that there were Jewish believers who were stuck. They were stuck between the, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And they found themselves with, with a foot in each covenant, right? And they, and they, they, were, just, they were having to do both. And, and they had their synagogue worship, and they had their Sunday worship, and they, they had their Jewish friends, and they had their Christian friends, and, and they had their Jewish rites, and they had their Christian uh, worship, and, and and all of it was there, and they're just not sure what to do with this because they're in this, this transition period. What do we do? What's, what's happening here with all that we're facing? We started going through this because the 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 book really is pushing and he's saying to follow jesus he's saying that these these believers who have a foot in each covenant they're saying what you need to do is you need to follow jesus here's where you need to go and in chapter six it takes a shift at the beginning of chapter six the author um, says to to the readers therefore leaving the elementary teachings about the christ let us press on to maturity that's what he's calling him. He's saying now in chapter 6, okay, we've, we've talked about all of this stuff, all the stuff that, that are the elementary principles. Now, now let's press on to maturity. Let's look forward. Let's move forward. And that's the call of the second half of the book is, is inviting the people to press on to that maturity. Showing them And especially the last chapter, the last couple chapters, we've seen that that he's emphasized the new covenant and showing that the new covenant isn't something we look to in the future. They'd grown up their whole lives thinking, oh, we got to look to the future to that new covenant. But no, 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 saying the new covenant is now. It's now, at this moment, you can live in the new covenant now, and you need to live in the new covenant now, and inviting them to enter into that, and in knowing that the new covenant is now, what do I do about that? Now, now, you take the next step. That's what he's calling on them to do at at this point. The reality is, as Christians, we can get stuck in traditions too, can't we? No, not not as Christians, we couldn't do that to where, you know, there may be some tradition like anytime we have communion, we all get this face, right? We wouldn't ever do something like that, right? We wouldn't ever be in a situation to where there's no way that, oh no, we can't, we got to Gotta keep, or, or the tradition may be that as soon as you start singing, your hands go up and you have no idea what you're singing, but your hands just have to be up when you sing, right? And, and that can become a tradition as well. We can get stuck in those traditions, the same as the Jews could. And in those traditions, we can forget Jesus. We can forget the purpose. We can forget the focal point. We can start going through the motions of worship and forget Jesus whom we're seeking to worship, right? Because our hearts are, 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 are weak and they tend toward that laziness. And we need to know that we need to take the next step too. Well, how do we do that? We're going to look at three different ways in which we can take that next step that come from this passage today. And the first one is from verse 22. We can draw near. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. To draw near has... uh, translation is a, a, a unique thing and, and sometimes we think about translation and we think that uh, so there's there's a word for dog in English and there's a word for dog in French which is shin and so we think that there's just that there's a word for each thing in another language and only that's not exactly the way that translation works. A word in the Greek language has has a an a, array of meanings and so the the word that's translated as draw near would would mean to come toward or to go forward. To come toward or to go forward. It's it's used in in chapter four and verse sixteen and that very familiar Passage that we use, as, particularly as we think about prayer, it says, "Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need." And you can see the meaning of it. And either way that you look at it, either to 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 move toward or to go forward. I want to go forward to the throne of grace, or I want to move toward the throne of grace. Either way, it's got that same idea, but it's it's leaving where I am and it's moving to a particular goal which should be in front of us. It's used also in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, where we read that without faith it is impossible to please God, for the one who comes to Him must believe that He exists and He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. To come to Him, to begin to pursue Him, to to move forward toward Him. That's what the, the, the word means, that we're to draw near, that we're to move forward, that we are to, to step toward Christ. These Jewish Christians who found themselves with one foot in the old covenant and one foot in the new, and they're, they're standing there, and what do we do? And the author is saying, you take the step, you draw near to Jesus, you begin to move toward him, and that's that next step, to move toward jesus to draw near to him to draw near to him that means you you must be true he goes on to say let us draw near with a sincere heart sincere heart sincere and what do we mean by sincere think about that for just a moment a sincere heart i think the idea is found in even passages like john chapter 4 verse 24 which uh, jesus is talking to the uh samaritan woman at the well and, and he says to her, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. A lot of different interpretations of that, and, and sometimes we, we get a little bit confused. We think that, oh, worshiping in spirit, we take our idea of, of being spirited worship, and we say, well, it's got to be emotional, and, and you've got to have all of that going on in it. But that isn't the, the idea that it was in the original context. To worship in spirit means that it's worship that is that is brought that, that you've been born again that you have the Spirit, that you are a, a believer, and then to worship in truth, we then look at that and we say, well, then it has to be according to the Presbyterian way. Amen? And don't say amen, because then you set aside the Presbyterian way, you can just do this. Right? Or if you're really intense. Right? Preachers, we, we live for that, right, Jim? It's like, if they start writing it down, it's like, we got them, right? That's, that's what we're looking for. That's... that's, that's that's uh, our idea. No, what, is, what does it mean to worship in truth? What he, what he means is exactly what we see in the passage we're looking at at Hebrews, sincerely. That it's the idea that I'm worshiping having been born again, and then I'm not going through the motions of being in a worship service, but I'm truly and sincerely in that moment worshiping Jesus Christ. That's the kind of worshipers that God is looking for. And the same is true then when we see this, and I'm to draw near with a true heart, because it's the same word that's used there that's translated as sincere. It's the word from which we get truth. To truly draw near to Jesus. That's the start of drawing near. I'm going to do this with the reality of my heart, I'm going to be true. It's going to be sincere. It's going to be real. But not just that. It's also going to be confident. I'm going to be confident. He says to draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. The word full assurance is, is uh, really powerful in the Greek in, in showing that it's a complete covering. It's absolutely over us. It's, it's not partial. It's complete. The complete assurance... Well, think about this for a moment. What is your complete assurance? Let me ask you, what has God done for you? And as you come into worship, stop yourself and remind yourself of that. What has he done in my life? I go back and I think, you know, of, of, of who I was in the 70s and 80s before he got a hold of me in 82. And I see this complete Transformation. That he has done in in bringing about a good work in my life and taking me and rescuing me from the path of destruction that I was headed down and turning that around to be hopefully an instrument of of benefit and, and of life to others. Has he done that in your life? Consider his love. How much does he love you? How much does he care about you as an individual? I really like that image this morning, John, that you uh, mentioned of us as individuals. He knows our individual name and he calls us by an individual name. Amen. And he loves you individually. His love isn't something that's like junk mail sent out to resident of earth. But it's a personal letter that he sends to you as an individual. Consider the cross. We look at the cross, we see it here every Sunday, and it's up there, and it's all pretty, and that's all nice. But consider what took place upon the cross. And why? That the nails were driven into His hands. Because His love for you, and that He might take away all of your sins. Be confident in full assurance, and in full assurance to draw near. I want to I say this, first of all, to, to non-Christians who may be here, and that may be someone who you've never come to a place where you've put your trust in Jesus Christ. You've never said, Lord, forgive me because of the work of Jesus. I would invite you today, today, tell him that you've sinned. He already knows. You don't have to be ashamed. And ask him to forgive you and to wash you in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that can go for any child who maybe you've grown up in the church and you've heard this message a hundred times. But today, let this be the day in which you say, Jesus, will you forgive me? And you who are a Christian, draw near in full confidence, not afraid to move to Jesus because he invites you with his nail-pierced hands and he says, come, Come, so come to him in full assurance, come truly, come confidently, and come knowing that you are clean. He goes on to say, in the full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. These words sprinkled clean and washed in the, in the Greek text are in the perfect, they're perfect participles. You were wondering, weren't you? He said, I had a suspicion that that's precisely what I was, ta- what I was looking at. And the perfect is, is probably my favorite uh, way in which the verb is, is utilized in the uh, Greek language because what it means is it's a, it's a completed action that has ongoing effect. It's completed, the action is done, but it has effect forever. For you've been, by grace you have been saved perfect tense you have been saved right that happened there was a point in time in which i went from the from the moment of being dead to being alive i was unsaved and now i am saved but that moment doesn't end there it has effect for the rest of eternity right when jesus is on the cross he says it is finished In the perfect tense. Meaning it is now complete. I have utterly and completely taken away all of the wrath of God for all of His people. For all of eternity. And that action will have ongoing effect forever. Right? Having your hearts sprinkled clean and your bodies washed. It's done. It's complete. You are clean as you come into His presence. That's the promise of the new covenant that's given to us in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 25. When he says to us, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. That was the promise of the new covenant. Now we stand in that new covenant. That's the promise of the new covenant that these Jewish believers knew that they'd grown up on. They were aware of. They were looking forward to that. And the author is saying, you have now had your heart sprinkled clean. The covenant has been fulfilled. That has already been accomplished. It's a done deal, and it changes you for the rest of eternity. So come into Him clean, knowing that He has washed you clean. But there's another element of that cleansing that I want us to think about. And and we go back to Romans. uh, I mean, uh, yeah, you can go back to Romans, but then keep turning back to John (coughs) and John 13. And this is the incident as, as uh, Jesus was uh, uh, in the upper room and the disciples had all gotten together and they're about to eat the, the last supper. And as they're getting ready to celebrate that, Jesus recognizes that their feet stink, right? That nobody had taken the time to wash the, the, the feet. And so what does he do, right? He says, someone, come, right? Uh uh-uh. He himself gets up and changes his clothes and gets a basin and goes around to each of the disciples to wash their stinking sandal feet, right? Yeah, it, it wasn't necessarily pleasant. Again, I pastored in Arizona for 16 years and uh, we'd have youth group meetings and they'd been in sandals all day long and let me tell you, it's vile. <laughs> it's really gross. And so as Jesus was washing those feet, he was, he was dealing with that. And remember, he has this, this conflict with Peter, Right? And Peter is like, no, Lord, you won't wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have none of me. Yes, Lord, wash all of me, right? And just the, the typical uh, Petrine fashion, he jumps into that. And we read in verse 10 that Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. And not all of you, he was talking about Judas was there. He's saying that you're clean, but you still need your feet washed. See, I think that this is is a reminder to us of 1 John 1, 9. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. And then what? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think the washing of feet isn't so much about a symbolism of of washing feet as much as it is uh, confessing and repenting on a daily basis, don't you think? Because we are clean, but yet we still sin, right? And so we still walk through this world and we still get the world up onto our feet. And each day we need to just start out the day and ask Him to wash them. Ask Him to forgive us. To remember that those sins might also be taken away. You are clean. So draw near. Be true. Be confident. Know that you're clean. That's the first step. The second step is hold fast. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. To hold fast means to possess. It's, it's, it's to hold on and, and, and make it your own, to possess it. It's used a, 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 few times, a couple times in uh, Hebrews. I want to look at a couple of those. The first is in chapter 3 and verse 6. As we, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope, firm until the end. To hold fast our confidence. Remember here he's talking to these, these Jewish believers. He's saying, you have the promises of the new covenant. As you hold fast to them. You recognize that you're going to receive them. As you, as you take them into yourself and you possess them and you make them your own. It's also used in chapter uh, 3 and verse uh, 14. Where he says, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Again, that, that connection of, of needing to make it our own, needing to possess it ourselves. Paul uses this also in First Corinthians fifteen two. He says of the gospel, by which also you are saved if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. In other words... Recognizing that there, there are some who step up and they, they make a profession of faith, but they don't hold fast to it. Right? It doesn't last. For some reason, they walk away from it. But he's saying, We know this, salvation, this gospel has saved us as we hold fast to it, as it is what we truly believe and as we stay within the people of God. So, to hold fast, you need to stand firm. To stand firm. Have you ever been to the ocean and you go out into the waves, right? And and you stand against the waves? Right? And, and it's when it's your, at your knees you know, there can be some big waves and, and as it's coming in you see it and you brace yourself and you kind of dig your feet down into that sand and, and you're ready to stand against it. When you get out a little bit farther it's a, it's, it's a lot harder because your body wants to go up with the wave, right? And, but you can, you can still do it and you get out there and you stand firm against that wave. I think that's some of the, the idea that I, I want to get us uh, uh, thinking about as we think of holding fast that we stand firm because we live... In a world where we've got all these different ideas, we've got all these different pressures, we've got everything that's just kind of coming against us, almost like waves out in the ocean. And we need to stand firm. We're going to hold fast. We're going to make this our own. We're going to possess it. But to do that, we've got to brace ourselves against those things that are coming. Recognizing we're bracing ourselves, not, not by our own strength, but it's the strength of Christ that is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us, right? And so we stand in that Spirit, but that Spirit gives me strength, and so I can stand firm resisting all of that which is coming in against me. Holding fast involves not wandering. The Jews were tempted to go back and forth, right? These Jewish believers, they were tempted. You know, on Saturday, I'm a Jew. On Sunday, I'm a Christian. I don't know what to do on Monday, right? Now what do we do? Where, where do I go? And they wanted to go back and forth between these two different communities, between these two different styles of worship. And, and what do I do? Do I still go sacrifice in the temple or do I stay here? What do, what do I do? Do I, do I take communion and celebrate the Passover meal as we sacrifice the, the lamb and, and put the blood on our... What do I do? And he's telling them, stand firm. Stand firm in the gospel. Stand firm in Jesus Christ. As Christians, we can face that too, right? Do you face the temptation kind of to have a split personality as a Christian? Through you one thing around, around one group of people and something else around another group of people? You find that temptation in yourself to kind of blend in and be what the people around you expect instead of standing firm for who you are in Jesus Christ? Stand firm. Stand firm. Don't wander. Because God is faithful. Isn't that great that he puts that in there? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And he already promised to hold on to us. I remember we went to a Wayne Watson concert. How long has it been since you heard the name Wayne Watson, right? Some of you young people, uh, my whole life, but uh, Wayne Watson was a very popular Christian musician back in the uh, 80s and 90s. And uh, we went to one of his concerts. Believe it or not, your pastor used to occasionally go to concerts. And uh, I I remember this as as he was talking about one of the songs he was going to sing. He said, you know, for years and years and years and years, I tried to hold on to Jesus. And then one day I realized that what really mattered was that he held on to me because he's stronger. Reminds me also of Rich Mullins' uh, song, Hold Me, Jesus, because I can't hold on to you. You've got to hold on to me, right? And so that's where even the author of Hebrews says, you want to stand firm because he's faithful. He's going to hold on to you. He's going to be there holding on to you in all of His faithfulness. What's your hope? What is your hope? Isn't it eternal life with Jesus? I mean, when it all boils down, that's really what I want. That's my hope. That's my dream. That's, that's, that's the ultimate is eternal life with Jesus Christ. Hold fast. Because He's faithful. And He will accomplish that for us. So the steps. The first step, draw near. The second step, hold fast. And the third step that He lays out for us is to minister to one another. And this is in verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Genesis 2.18, I want to refer to that for just a moment. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And I want to look at that from the standpoint of how do we understand that verse and how do we understand our relationship with one another? And and you hear me preach it, you hear me counsel it, you hear me teach it, you hear me I hope try to live it, that all I need is God. Well, what do I do with this that it's not good for man to be alone? What do I do with the fact that, that God puts me in a community with other people? Don't I need those other people? And my answer would be it's complicated. The technical answer is no. All I need is God. A little more detail. And God frequently ministers to me through people. Right? That's the experience of your life. I don't need the people. I need God who's ministering through those people. Right? I don't need the straw. I need the water at the bottom of the straw. But the water comes to me through the straw. Right? And so as I begin to see people in that way, I begin to see this relationship and that we are social beings and God has created us so that He might minister to us through the people who are around us. It's how He works. It's what He does. It's His plan that He wants to accomplish that. You notice as we look at these steps, the first step is very individual and personal, right? Draw near. The second step is very individual and personal, and it's, it's hold fast. The third step, now all of a sudden, he's talking about us corporately. He turns the attention to what is our corporate work together. This is important because he's writing to Jews, and their corporate life was a central part of who they were. Their community was so key that they, they spoke of themselves as the Jews, and everyone outside of their community were the Gentiles, right? Right? There may have only been a hundred of them and four billion of the others, but they're all the others. They're all outside of the community. And for us to recognize there's an element of that with us as Christians, that we are those people of God and we are a community. And he uses a word translated one another, how to stimulate one another and encouraging one another and this idea of one another, is, it's a reciprocal command. It's, it, it, it talks about the need for relationship going back and forth. One of the heartbreaks for all of us of the pandemic, right, is, is the difficulty in relationships. As we were separated from one another. We found ways to kind of make up for it as best we could. You know, we did Zoom, and praise God for Zoom. I love Zoom. I love video conferencing. I can video conference with my grandchildren. And I'll tell you what, it's a whole lot better than just getting a letter every six months, right? Oh, I thank God for it. It's wonderful. But it ain't the same as seeing each other face-to-face, is it? There's something more that takes place there. And it's not that, that, that Zoom was bad But it wasn't as good. This is better. And frankly, this ain't the best. We look for that when we will stand and there won't be that barrier of sin between us. And we'll be able to relate fully in the presence of Jesus Christ. I long for that day. But to recognize that there's this this element and so we, we need to get past that. How do we do that? He gives us a couple directives, and the first is I think we need to promote deeds of love in our ministry to one another. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, to promote deeds of love. I want to read for just a moment from one of my favorite pastoral books. When it comes to how do you shepherd people, I think this is one of the better books, Connecting by Larry Crabb. And in this, he, he gives a description of, of what that would look like. And uh, uh, as he talks about, there are three principles that you need to bring about um, in, in those relationships. He says, relationships heal when they reflect the energy of Christ. We can impact others by, one, letting people know we delight in them as Christ does. Two, eagerly looking for the goodness in someone's heart and identifying the passions that are prompting, loving, strong choices. And three, exposing the darkness in someone's heart, their sin and pain, in order to engage them more convincingly with the Savior's kindness. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. I think it's just so vital that we look at all three of these? Because our tendency, particularly within reform circles, is we want to jump to number three, right? How am I going to minister to someone? I'm going to find out what's wrong and I'm going to fix it, right? And that's where we go. And so we want to jump to that. I love that Larry Crabb takes us first to delight in them. And so as you're going to minister to one another, as you're going to promote deeds of love, let me suggest that you begin by delighting in others. Delighting in one another. It's just different than putting up with one another, right? I know some of us are like, nope, don't see a difference. <laughs> it's unique. Do you remember in Hebrews twelve two? He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. For the joy set before him, what was the joy? Friends, it was you. It was your name. As he looked down and he saw you, it gave him enough joy that he could endure the cross. But you were his joy. As you minister to one another, look at the other person and wonder, how does Jesus see this person? And I'm quite convinced that if Jesus is walking through the grocery store and he sees any of us, There's no one here that he's going to go, oh, dang, I need tomatoes, right? He's going to be looking for you. He's going, I'm so glad to see you. I've been looking forward to this moment because he always delights. How do I develop that in me for you? It begins with a choice. It begins by by my believing that Jesus delights in you. And when I believe that, then I'm able to delight in you. Secondly, I need to look for the goodness in another's heart. I'm going to read a little bit from uh, connecting again from something you said earlier than what we read. Be sure, there it is. I have so many sections underlined in this that it's really. Which one am I supposed to be looking at? Um, but a core ingredient of powerful impact is, to, is too easily overlooked in our search for solutions or our attempts at supportiveness. And that ingredient is an affirming exposure of whatever evidence of God's Spirit can be found in the midst of the problems. What's God doing? What's the good that's inside that person? He begins by saying that he has this conviction that the good that is in other Christians is greater than all the bad. And when I first read that, the very first time I read that, I put the book down. I said, well, that ain't right. And then God haunted me with it. And I thought, well, isn't the Spirit of God in the Christian? Yes, he is. I lose again. The Spirit of God is good, is he not? Not? He's doing something good in every single person's life. What if I had eyes to see that good? I need to develop that in myself to see the good that Jesus is doing. Why am I doing that? Because I want to promote in them deeds of love. To do that, I must train myself to not just delight, but to see the good that is present. And if I do those first two steps, you see that then... Helps me to move forward. I, I, I want to give a, a personal example of that. Shortly after I was ordained, I was appointed on a commission to investigate a situation in our presbytery. And uh, part of the investigation was a, a, a teaching elder uh, had been arrested for impersonating a police officer. And I was in the investigation of this teaching elder. And uh, some of you may know Chris Lungard or know of Chris Lungard. He wrote the book, The Enemy Within. He's been a missionary uh, with Mission of the World for a number of years. He was a, a teaching elder in our presbytery at the time. And I remember Chris sat me down and he said, Vince, I want you to think about this man. This man's not an evil man. He had a good reason for what he did. It might not have been the correct reason, But in his mind, making that choice would accomplish something good. If you can understand that, you'll be a useful minister of the gospel. And that advice has sat with me ever since. And I think it's so true, particularly when we get in conflict, that we try to find what's the good reason why someone would do what they've done. And when I'm able to do that, I'm able to see the good that's in them. It might be wrong, right? They they may have just been misguided, probably were. But that means they're misguided and not evil. And now I can begin to promote love in their life. And finally, I need to expose the darkness. Why? To make them feel bad for the bad they've done. No. To engage in Christ's kindness. That's why. So I need to work to promote deeds of love and then I need to, we need to work together. To work together. Verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not forsaking, which means forsaking is to leave behind. The Jewish Christians were leaving behind The worship service on the Lord's Day and focusing on the synagogue and he's saying that shouldn't be our habit. It's the habit of some, but let's not do that. Let's not leave Christianity behind. Let's not forsake our gathering together. We've talked about our our post-COVID ministry here at Providence and the recognition that 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 we need to be getting together and as we were analyzing what do we need to do how do we how do we move out of this pandemic how do we we begin to establish the normalcy after covid is now in our world and all of us are facing it right we're, we're, we're seeing it in different ways. We recognize there's sometimes you got to wear masks, sometimes you don't. We, we get that, and, and we just do it. And so we're ready, and we just face that. And, and we all know okay, well, we got COVID. What do we do? Well, you, you stay home for five days. Five days after that, you wear a mask, and then you're ready to go. Okay, that's what we do. And we know it. We've got a new way in which we function. I'm not a fan of the new normal, but we have a, 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 a new normal that we go through life and we have that and we recognize that. How do we do that as a church? How do we get back, not to get back to where we were before, but how do we advance from where we were before in the new circumstances in which we are? And we talked about that as a a church last fall. I tried to say that there are gonna be three focuses that we're gonna have, that we're gonna focus on disciple making, on making disciples, not just uh, making Presbyterians, not making new visitors, but making disciples. We're gonna focus on fellowship. That we're gonna try to find more ways which we can fellowship together. I think sometimes we forget that. Remember, would you like to have a game night? Call Jamie and schedule it, right, Jamie? She's all in, right? And we're gonna make it happen. Let's have a game night. I think we need to have a game night, right? I don't know how, each time we have a game night, it turns out you guys plan it when I'm gone. Ask Jamie. She's got my schedule. Do it when I'm going to be here. I want to come to the game night. It's a lot of fun. So let's do that. And then leadership development. And we've been doing that. And we've been having the covenant study that we've been going through and developing leaders, men and women leaders within our congregation. And, and all of this has been face-to-face stuff that we're trying to build. right? That's what we're trying to accomplish because we recognize how important that is. But it's working. It's, it's, it's not forsaking our gathering together, but encouraging one another. And the word encouraging... You've heard me talk about this word before. It's parakaleo. It means to come alongside. And the picture that I will never get out of my mind and that speaks to me is the image of parakaleo is when I was first uh, examined to become a ruling elder. And there was a weakness that was found in my examination. And a dear friend, uh, the, the, the best shepherding ruling elder I've ever known, Joel Smith, comes up to me and we're at the back of the auditorium, and he puts his arm around me. And Joel's kind of a big guy. He puts his arm around me, and he pulls me close, and then he puts pressure on me, and we move forward. And he says, Vince, here's what you need to do. And it was just so comforting and encouraging. It was encouraging not just that, oh, well, that's nice, I feel better, but it was encouraging that it was directing me, and it was moving me where I needed to go. And it was developing me as a man of God. That's the word encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, how can I come along someone else? Who is God in mind for you to encourage? Look for those people. Did anybody notice that I skipped over verses 19 through 21? Let's let's go back and look at those just for a moment, okay? Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Notice that he's telling us why we have confidence to enter the holy place. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place. How? By the blood of Jesus. Through the veil which is the flesh of Jesus. Knowing that we have a great priest who is Jesus over the house of God. These three truths stand for us as a confidence so that we can take the next step. Have you seen this book before? (laughs) This book means an awful lot to me. The Rent Veil by Horatius Bonar. Um, I want to read just a a section in which he, he speaks about this idea. He says, it is bold coming. He's speaking specifically of this passage that we're talking about. It is bold coming that honors the blood. In other words, When I come boldly, I come boldly because I believe that Jesus' blood is enough. It is bold coming that honors the blood. It is bold coming that glorifies the love of God and the grace of His throne. Come boldly. This is the message to the sinner. Come boldly now. Come in the full assurance of faith. Not supposing it possible That that God who has provided such a mercy seat can do anything but welcome you. That such a mercy seat can be anything to you but the place of pardon. Or that the gospel out of which every sinner that has believed it has extracted peace can contain anything but peace to you. Take the next step. Take the next step. Draw near. Hold fast. And minister to one another. Let's pray. Our Father, how we love you. You've provided everything for us. You wrote our names in the book of life. before there was time or space or an earth. You planned to send your Son before you said, let there be light. You paid the price for all of our sins before we would ever breathed a breath. You sent your Spirit into our lives and gave us life and faith. And here we stand, Lord. We know that you've given us all that we need, and so we choose to take the next step. We draw near to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We will hold fast to our hope and grant that our ministry to one another may bear fruit. We ask that you do this so that Jesus' name is praised.